0: Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, May 8th, we are starting a new series here on Sharper Iron. It is called Come Lord Jesus. For the next eight weeks, we will be studying the book of Revelation. If the book of Revelation is confusing or intimidating to you, trust me that you are not alone. There are seals, there are trumpets, there are bulls, there's a dragon, and there are beasts. What do we make of these strange visions? And what about all those numbers? Four horsemen, seven lampstands, 24 elders, 1,000 years. To ask that Lutheran question, what does this mean? Surely these are important and challenging questions, and we might not be able to answer every single question that this book has with certainty. But what God will certainly show us in this book is the same thing that he shows us throughout his holy word. Jesus Christ, the crucified, risen, and ascended Savior— No matter what persecution or trouble we may face as Christians, God points us to our triumphant King who has won the victory for us over our every enemy so that we would eagerly await his glorious return at the resurrection of all flesh when he will take us to dwell in his new creation. Our study this morning will introduce the book of Revelation as a whole and we will study the opening text, Revelation 1 verses 1 to 3. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, the Rev. Dr. Reed Lessing. Dr. Lessing serves at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota as Professor of Theology and Ministry, the Director of the Pre-Seminary Program, and Director of the Center for Biblical Studies. Dr. Lessing, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Good to be here, Tim. So we get started today. Dr. Lessing, you have the privilege of helping us introduce the book of Revelation. And when I asked people, who's the expert? They told me Dr. Lessing is who I need to talk to. So I I know that you are up for the challenge. So let's, I mean, there's so many, so many questions that we could get started with, with mm-hmm. Revelation, but maybe let's, let's just start here. Big picture. Why do we need the book of Revelation? What, what is here that Christians need?
1: It's a wonderful question, probably for any book of the Bible. Why is it you know, in the canon? What is God uh, speaking um, about through this book? And uh, you picked this up in your introduction uh, several times. Uh, you use the word ascension, right? Uh, quite often, um, we say Christ died for you, which is uh, certainly gospel. Uh, in this uh, season of Easter, we... Uh, would be remiss to forget the resurrection. Uh, quite often, uh, Christ uh, died, uh, Christ is risen, uh, Christ is coming again, see? Yeah. Um, and even liturgically, the ascension of Jesus uh, sometimes is uh, dismissed uh, or um, simply ignored because it comes on a Thursday, right, uh, 40 days after Easter. So if you're looking for kind of the Rodney Dangerfield that doesn't get any respect, right, in terms of the accomplishments of Jesus, the ascension probably would be right up there. So to answer your question, the book of Revelation, in large part, though not exclusively, but in large part, answers the question, what is Jesus doing now, uh, right now? Uh, and it's also going to answer the question, uh, what will it be like when Jesus returns uh, in glory uh, and ushers in the renewed heaven and renewed earth? But the primary focus of the book is, what does it mean that Jesus is now the ascended king of the universe, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, and sits at the Father's right hand? What does that mean for the church on earth?
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I'm with you on the the festival of the Rever- Reformation—not the Reformation, the Ascension—being one of the most neglected festivals of the Church here, to our detriment. We uh-huh. when, when I served in Smithville, we were able to have a, an Ascension service every year, and here in, in Godfrey now, we're going to start having an Ascension service— You know, it does come on a Thursday, but at least it comes on a Thursday every year. And I think that makes it a little more Mm -hmm. able to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. we do, we miss so much if we forget that Christ is ascended. And as you said, he's reigning over all things. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. to that question that the book of Revelation aims to answer, one of them, what is Jesus doing now as the ascended Lord? Give us a, a brief synopsis of what Revelation will teach us about that.
1: Right. So I um, did a seminar on the book of Revelation here in St. Paul, Minnesota last month. And uh, what I uh, attempted to do is to place the theme of the book in one sentence. Uh, So let me read that for you. Um, A heavenly perspective. All right. So perspective is going to be important uh, throughout the book. Uh, it's a compound of two Latin words, right? Uh, per means through and specto. Spectator means to see. Uh, so the book of Revelation wants us to see through uh, earthly events uh, and be able to interpret them um from the standpoint of Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So it's a heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances mm. so that the church, so it's written, of course, for the church, actually seven churches in Asia Minor, right? In every generation. So uh, that phrase, every generation, is quite important. Uh, the book is not only for uh the seven churches in the 10th uh, decade of the first century A.D. Uh, and it's not just for, maybe some Christians would say, uh, a handbook if you're left behind uh, and there's a rapture and now you're trying to figure out what should I do now. Uh, that's the way uh, any number of Christians would interpret chapters uh, 4 through 20, uh, all of which is to say chapters 4 to 20 really don't apply to us uh, because we're not living during the seven-year tribulation. So no, the book of Revelation is a heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances so that the church in every generation is challenged, challenged, uh, and uh, comforted and assured of final victory through Jesus Christ. Uh, So the book is going to challenge us um, uh, certainly uh, anyone who knows anything about the book of Revelation knows the uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, where the church in Laodicea, and of course the baptized even today, can become lukewarm, neither hot nor cold. Uh, the, the book comforts people, and the main uh, gist of the book is victory, victory. John loves the uh, Greek word uh, nikao, which is where we get Nike or victory. Um, through Jesus Christ. Uh, So that might be uh, one way to start getting our minds uh, around the book. Um, Yeah, so there's uh, my one-sentence shot uh, reviewing the entire 22-chapter book.
0: Good. Okay, so it's a heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances so that the Church in every generation is challenged and comforted and assured of final victory through Jesus Christ.
1: Very good. Yeah. All right.
0: Very good. I was taking notes. Okay. <laughs> so let's let's talk about some of those earthly circumstances. Mm-hmm. a Heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances. You mentioned some earthly per- circumstances. What you're talking about the the tenth decade of the first century. Mm-hmm. Now I, I like math, but but help us out there. What are the earthly circumstances in which Saint John is writing down this book?
1: John is writing to uh, Christians in Western modern day Turkey. Uh, during the reign of Domitian. Domitian is the CEO, chairman of the board, the Caesar, the emperor, the president of the vast Roman Empire. Uh, Domitian's reign is uh, 81 to 96 AD. Uh, and by this time, just to throw in a little Latin, um, Christianity has become, according to the Roman Empire, a religio elicita. Uh religio, religion, illicita, illicit. Uh, Illegal. Uh, Up to probably uh, Neronian times, and Nero, of course, uh, is famous for Rome burning, and Nero is in the seventh decade of the first century. Up to about Nero, Christianity was understood to be under the umbrella of Judaism, which was a legal religion uh, in the empire. But by the time we get to Domitian, uh, Christianity is an illegal religion. Uh, Because Christians would not acknowledge that the Roman emperor would be soter, right, the Greek word for Savior, and curious, the Greek word for Lord. Uh, That would be breaking uh, everything (laughs) that people believe about Jesus and uh, who the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would be. So, so that gives our, our listeners a little bit of a, a background historically on uh, what's going on with uh, Christians in the empire.
0: Mm. And so we've made reference to this. We've been saying John wrote this, St. John. The same. This is the author that wrote the Gospel and the epistles that are given his name. Same guy. We'll talk a little about his circumstances when he writes this book.
1: Yeah, John actually tells us uh, in chapter 1... Um, verse 9, that uh, he is on the island of Patmos, Patmos, uh, which would be in the Aegean Sea, uh, just west of uh, these seven churches that he's writing to. And he tells it that he's there uh, on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Uh, It's about all we know uh, that John was imprisoned uh, as a Christian, on uh, uh, perhaps uh, an ancient Alcatraz of sorts, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, from there, uh, he tells us, really in the next verse, Revelation 1.10, he's in the Spirit in the Lord's Day, the Lord's Day uh, Sunday, uh, and uh, the risen and ascended Jesus uh, shows up and uh, gives him a, a heavenly perspective of earthly circumstances.
0: Mm. So, yeah, that word perspective, then, that we would see through the the earthly circumstances to get that heavenly perspective, a lot of what we're going to read in the book of Re- Revelation is what he saw. What I mean, so talk about the, the nature of the book of Revelation. We talk about the scriptures being inspired, mm-hmm. and certainly the book of Revelation is, but uh, the circumstances of him writing it down are different than, say, you and I talked about Jeremiah before. It's different than mm-hmm. when Jeremiah wrote that. So talk about the circumstances under which John receives this and writes it.
1: Perhaps the best way to understand uh, what John is doing uh, is that he's writing uh, underground resistance literature. Uh, So let me unpack that a little bit. Um, Underground resistance literature assumes uh, that we don't want uh the enemy to find out our top secret plan. Um, so he's got to um, place this in code language again, to use some modern analogies. So if I'm writing a a top secret uh, missive uh, to my comrades about uh, how the enemy is gonna be taken down, I certainly uh, don't expect the enemy to um, find out the plan, but if they do find out the plan, they won't understand it because it's in code language all of which is finally to say uh that the book is going to use um uh, you know numerous numbers as you said and and imagery and colors etc so the roman government doesn't get it now the big question is well how do you crack the code (laughs) right uh and the code is cracked uh, through the first 65 books of the Bible, right? Uh, now, not all of them. We wouldn't say like Esther or uh, Nehemiah or probably, um, oh, what else in the Old Testament? Lamentations, the book of um, Proverbs, et cetera. Uh, it's not the whole Old Testament, um, but it is some primary parts of the Old Testament. Uh, And and those would obviously be, for people who have uh, studied the book, uh, Psalm 110, verse 1, uh, which is a throne room idea, which takes us to Daniel chapter 7, which is another throne room idea. Um, So those are the two primary Old Testament texts. And the New Testament text uh, would be what Jesus teaches about the last days in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay. Talk,
0: talk a little bit more about the Old Testament background. You mentioned Psalm 110 and then Daniel 7 as throne room places. I mean, other places where I think of the throne room in the Old Testament would be, say, the book of Ezekiel, the opening chapter, especially of Ezekiel. Mm-hmm. And thinking through some of the other things I remember reading in Ezekiel seem to be pretty key in, in the book of Revelation. I think other places in Daniel. What other texts, Old Testament, New Testament as well— do we really need to have down before we can understand the code there in the, in Revelation?
1: Yeah, I think your accent on throne is uh, so important. Uh, we see in the Book of Revelation that uh, you know the the Father is sitting on the throne, and the butchered, slaughtered, victorious Lamb is is always uh, <laughs> you know, near the throne and throne indicates uh, absolute authority uh, and power. Uh, so So that is actually a very helpful window into the book itself. Um, as we think about throne then in Old Testament usage, another text that uh, John is going to be using will be from Isaiah chapter 6 um and uh especially you know looking in chapter 4 of revelation uh where we have this heavenly throne room vision just accent that word throne again uh and what are these uh, uh four living beasts doing in chapter 4 verse 8 of revelation they're singing holy 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 uh which of course comes from Isaiah's throne room vision in chapter 6 verse 3 um, yeah, so I, I would add then, to a lesser extent, the Isaiah 6 text, uh, but front and center would be Psalm 110, and then uh, Daniel's vision uh, in chapter 7 of his book.
0: All right, so these are these are important Old Testament background to this. Also, the New Testament, what Jesus says about the last days and the Gospels, these are going to be very important. Do we... You know, we've been reading here on sharper iron, John, and then John's epistles, and mm-hmm. especially from John into First John and into Second and Third as well. You see a lot of similar language in those, so that you can—I mean, you very clearly, I think, see that John wrote them all, and he uses similar language. Does that carry on into Revelation too? Are there some of those same Johannine motifs that we'll see in this book?
1: Uh, no doubt, uh, especially the the accent on uh, Jesus being the Word, right? Mm. Uh, in in the great uh, vision in Revelation chapter 19, uh, Jesus is called uh, the Word of God, uh, Revelation nineteen thirteen, 13. Um, and it's not just the, this connection between the Word became flesh in John 1, 14, and then, of course, 1 John uh, begins with this prologue, talking about, uh, the Word of God being Jesus, uh, but it's more than that. It would be really the introduction to the Book of Revelation is that Jesus then is the uh, manner in which uh, the Father reveals. Then not only himself, right? If you see me, you've seen the Father, John 14 verse 9, uh, but also how the Father is going to reveal uh, the unfolding of human history. So Jesus is the agent of creation, right? We get that in the Johannine Prologue, John 1 1 18. Uh, he's certainly the agent or the means whereby the Father reconciles the world to Himself. But in the Book of Revelation, Jesus is. Uh, all of that, including the fact that he then is the the way the Father reveals uh, His plan for the universe.
0: Hmm. I want to go back to something you said earlier when we were talking about the what the Book of Revelation is answering, and and you talked about two questions: What is Jesus doing now? what will it be like when he returns? Mm-hmm. And having been a student of yours and, and caring about things like present, past, future tenses, and language, I notice in those questions, you have a present tense, what is Jesus doing now? But also a future tense, what will it be like when we'll he slow. returns? So thinking about the book of Revelation, when is it taking place? Is it is it past? Is it present? Is it future? Is it all of those things at different times? How do you know? Talk about that that sense of the the when of the book of Revelation.
1: Right, right. I think that the major accent is on what Jesus is doing now. Um, I, I know I was thinking about this a little bit. There's a, a wonderful reflection on this Psalm 110 verse one. Uh, midway through 1 Corinthians chapter 15 uh, where it says, I'm reading from verse 25, and it is necessary for him to reign, to reign. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to just go out the deep end on this infinitive that Paul uses, uh, basileon, to reign, but it's actually a a, a present, <laughs> present active infinitive, which uh, is more accurately... Uh, translated, to continually reign. Um, So Paul envisions Jesus right now uh, continually reigning uh, as king, which means, among other things, but chiefly in Revelation, he's defeating enemies as the king. Uh, We often think that the uh, ascension is now Jesus's seated and interceding for us and reigning in a g- kind of general way, uh, but Paul's accent, certainly the accent of the book of Revelation, is that that he's actively, he's continually asserting his uh, authority um, especially on behalf of the church. And a wonderful uh, narrative example of this is at the end of Acts chapter 7, when, when Stephen, you know, he's thinking, Psalm 110 verse 1 as well, he says, uh, as he's dying, right, as the first martyr, uh, he, he doesn't say he sees Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? Uh, Jesus is standing, Um, and that's just a wonderful uh, uh, heavenly perspective of earthly circumstances, to get back to that. When we are suffering, when the church is suffering, Jesus is very active, all right? Uh, Yes, he sits at the Father's right hand, uh, but what Stephen's accent is, is that he stands up uh, and he's actively engaged you see where there is suffering in the church there is Jesus um, so so all of that is entailed uh, in this idea of uh, what's going on right now um, and of course as I said I think everyone will say about the book of Revelation well yeah it will it certainly accents what will happen uh, but in my own uh, Christian life I uh, I uh, have been negligent and kind of blinded over what Jesus is doing now, uh, in addition to praying for me and being you know, present with me. Um, so the book of Revelation really fills in that gap for us.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And I, I think what you're saying, it, it, and I am want to read Psalm 110 verse one, because you reference it so many times. I think we need to know what it says. Sure. So this is, this is from the ESV. It, it is a Psalm of David. Psalm 110 verse one says, the Lord said, says to my Lord. So Yahweh says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies, your footstool. And just reading that now in context with what you've been saying, you see both the present tense and the future tense within that verse sit at my right hand. So reign right now. Mm-hmm. Until So there's something coming, until I make your enemies your footstool. Both the present and the future tenses are are inherent within that verse. So thinking ab- about that and getting that right, that the book of Revelation is primarily about what Jesus is doing now, reigning as our ascended king, as well as including information about what it will be like when he returns— how does that help us avoid some of the errors that are prevalent when it comes to reading the book of Revelation? I think you mentioned in passing the left behind series, mm-hmm. what are some of those errors that are out there? I, I suppose we could spend a whole series of shows just talking about the errors, but maybe give us a summary of some of the errors that are out there and, and how a proper understanding of Revelation helps us to avoid those.
1: Right. So, um, maybe going back a little bit to this one sentence definition of, of the book itself, um, that it, the book is for the church in every generation, um, and to use the technical term premillennial dispensationalism or left-behind theology or being rapture-ready, you know, people know this uh, theology by a number of terms, Uh, then reads much of the book, as I indicated earlier, that the book is not for the church in every generation. It's really not primarily for us. Uh, It is for people who are left behind. Uh, when Christ uh, secretly comes and raptures the church, and then there's this seven-year tribulation. Well, here's the map on how to survive the great trip. Um, And what that does is that just uh, thoroughly... Uh, it takes away <laughs> uh, everything we're talking about right now. Uh, that then the book of Revelation really is not a call, to challenge, or comfort, or assure me of um, final victory through Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is more like a map, a survival map. Uh, when uh, you know you're you're left behind, assuming you're not a baptized believer in Jesus. So the the perspective of the book is radically different um, from the way we're approaching it. And uh, again, millions and millions of other well-meaning, Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians, we're not doubting that at all. Uh, We are calling into question uh, how they interpret this last book of the Bible.
0: Hmm. yeah so having this proper perspective the heavenly perspective on earthly circumstances so that the church in every generation will be challenges, challenged comforted and assured of this final victory in Jesus Christ that's what we're aiming for in reading the book of Revelation here on Sharper Iron we need to take a break but we will be right back you're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO I'm talking to Dr. Reed Lessing this morning please stick around Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, May 8th. We're studying Revelation 1 verses 1 to 3 with Dr. Reed Lessing. He serves at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota. He's professor of theology and ministry, director of pre-seminary program, and the director of the Center for Biblical Studies there. Dr. Lessing, prior to the break, we emphasized Psalm 110, verse 1 in several respects as being very important for the book of Revelation. You had mentioned, I think, some sections that Jesus talks about in the last season in the New Testament, but are there, are there any other spots in the New Testament that really help us to summarize what we have in Revelation?
1: There actually is a section in Colossians Uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and all of our listeners can attest to an experience when you're reading the Bible and you say, oh, this this is a wonderful uh, insight on XYZ, right? Um, So I was reading, just in my own devotional reading of the New Testament, maybe about, uh, oh, three months ago, Uh, And I read Colossians 3, 1 through 4, and I'm sure I'm not the only person to to figure this out, but this is the only uh, uh, experience I've ever had with these four verses in Colossians 3 that summarize uh, not only the book of Revelation, but also the book's intent for Christians. So here we go. Since you have been raised with Christ... All right, and and that happens baptismally. If we would go back to Colossians two verse twenty, that's where we were buried with Christ. Uh, Paul then says, uh, "Since you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above." Oh, okay, so that's what the, the book of Revelation is trying to help us, right? This heavenly perspective, okay? And then it goes on, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So there we go. We get the Psalm 110, verse 1 thrown in there. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Um, so the book Revelation uh, gives us, right, uh, this uh, heaven reality of, of, of you know, earthly goings-on, uh, but, but these heavenly realities are hidden, right? It takes faith to uh, see that God is actually working all things together for good. Well, anyway, uh, then verse 4 of Colossians 3, "...when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory." Uh, I just think it's a wonderful summary of the book Revelation and what, what God is doing uh, through the book for us. Uh, in this uh, wonderful uh, little section of Colossians 3, 4, Christ is your life, see, uh, uh, I love my ministry. I love my country. I, I, I love to go uh, running. I did that along the Mississippi River today in St. Paul, Minnesota. But none of that is my life. None of that is my life. Um, Christ is my life. Uh, and the book of Revelation makes that uh, very clear over and over and over again. Anyway, that was just oh. a wonderful experience while I was reading in the Bible. I thought, these four verses, wow. What a, a great summary of the book.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. So that that what is hidden, your life is hidden, the book of Revelation reveals to us. It, it makes mm-hmm. it manifest so that we have that faith. Oh, fantastic, Dr. Lessing. That's great. So thinking about the book of Revelation, you you called it already underground resistance literature. And the, the book itself, uh, when I read through it, to turn, I think that's a very helpful categorization. You know, sometimes I'll hear it called apocalyptic sure, and, sure and trying so. to, to organize it can sometimes be challenging because there mm-hmm. are different, you know, the first chapter you, you get John getting his vision, then there are some letters. So there's some epistles in here, then you have some visions. So mm-hmm. help us to, to try to organize all this. How should we structure the book of Revelation?
1: Right, I I would say chapter one um, certainly is the introduction to the book. You know, we meet all the, you know, the the major characters in the book, uh, John, the seven churches, uh, certainly Jesus, and and Jesus uh, in uh, his ascended status. Right, um, beginning of verse thirteen of chapter one. So uh, chapter one really. Gives us, uh, you know, as I said, kind of the major themes and people in the book. And then uh, chapters two and three, as you said, these would be uh, seven letters to these seven churches uh, in Asia Minor. Um, And then we get to chapters four and five, which would be uh, the throne room vision. And earlier in our discussion, we really accented this idea of throne uh, because of its uh, uh, connotations of authority and power uh, and uh, mights and glory, etc. Uh, so these, this throne room vision in chapters 4 and 5, uh, this vision is going to dominate and control everything that follows. Another way to put that would be uh, John uh, is taken up, Uh, So he can set his mind on things above, not on earthly things. He actually is taken up uh, in chapter uh, 4, verse 1, into this heavenly liturgy, uh, which is, uh, again, most of our listeners uh, will sing parts of this, right, Uh, in their uh, church services, right? Uh, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain, who has begun his reign, etc. So... Oh, these uh, two chapters in 4 and 5 uh, carry the, the book uh, through the end uh, in that uh, we are to join John, right, uh, in his heavenly perspective, seek uh, the things that are above, not earthly things, right, uh, and join him in worship, worship, Uh, Worship is a major theme in the book, I mean, about every other chapter after chapter 5. John takes us into uh, this heavenly liturgy. Uh, And and it's not just kind of worship for worship's sake. Um, It is uh, worship that celebrates uh, the uh, resurrection victory of the Lamb. some people call it uh, guerrilla liturgy, <laughs> all right? It, it, we're not engaged in guerrilla warfare, right? But we are part of a resistance movement. Uh, the church has always resisted, right, the world. Uh, and uh, we're not conformed, but we're transformed, right, by the renewing of our minds. There's a perspective idea again. Uh, but it's going to be uh, guerrilla liturgy, uh, we celebrate the downfall of uh, right the dragon and and the the beast and the false prophet um, as uh, a sure and certain victory. okay so enough on you know chapters four and five. Uh, really then what is going to um, uh, come after that are going to be these uh, seven cycles. Um, so we're going to have um, I'm sorry, cycles of seven. We'll have seven seals, um, chapters um, really, we we're introduced to that right, in the throne room. Uh, and then uh, the seven seal opens the seven trumpets in chapter eight verse one. Then we have seven trumpets, seven signs, seven bowls, seven sights. I won't give all the scriptural references there. I think that would probably just confuse everyone unless you're taking notes while you're listening to this Bible study. Uh, But suffice it to say that there are these cycles of sevens, seals, trumpets, sights, bulls, and sign. Um, And these seven cycles are going to repeat the same message, only with intensity. Uh, And what's the message? (laughs) Well, you know, uh, Christ Uh, is uh, king, and uh, the day is coming when everyone uh, will see his kingly reign. That's really what we have uh, in chapter 1, verse 7. Everyone will see the king when he uh, returns. Um, And then the book ends uh, with really the renewed creation in chapters uh, 21 and 22, um, which starts out with a renewed Jerusalem. I'm sorry that's kind of a long answer to your question. I'll well, stop right there.
0: <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. The the structure of the book of Revelation is is difficult to, to pin down. And I think just mm-hmm. to, the the way that you pointed to chapters 4 and 5 is controlling the the way that it works. And then just the idea of the cycles I think is right. very helpful. Uh-huh. Because uh, and the, we talked a little bit about some of the the false ways to read the book. Mm-hmm. If we try to read especially those chapters about what 6 through 19 and 20, if we try to read them linearly, we're going to run into all kinds of problems. So to recognize that there are these spirals, I think is very helpful.
1: Right, right, and, and our listeners might think, well, gosh, I've never quite thought of um, it that way, but think of the first two chapters of the Bible, right? Mm. Uh, it would be repetition with intensity. We have two creation accounts, right? Uh, beautiful accounts. Uh, And they mutually complement each other. Um, And the second chapter of Genesis really gets more intense, right? We talk about ribs, (laughs) right? And we get uh, people's names, Adam and Eve. Um, And we have the the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Uh, So if, if people can begin to think, oh, this whole idea of telling us the same story twice right, or in the book of Revelations case, multiple times from different perspectives uh, is actually the way much of the Bible communicates. One more example would be Luke 15, right? We have three parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, uh, but these are not three different uh disconnected stories right uh it's it's all about finally what Jesus says to Zacchaeus in Luke 19:10 the son of man came to seek and save that which is lost uh so think of the book of revelation in those ways uh that's going to be the same story uh, same message uh but there's going to be uh some additions and um some uh, overall intensity by intensity, you know, it's going to get ratcheted up until uh, Jesus finally appears in glory for the final time in the book, uh, in chapter 20.
0: All right. So, and one more, we're, we are going to read the text here in a moment, but just briefly, you, you've mentioned chapters four and five is very key passages within mm-hmm. this. What other key passages do we really need to pay attention to in the book of Revelation?
1: Oh, I think a one would be in chapter 19, verse 10. <coughs> it's a long verse, and then all I'm concerned about would be the last sentence of that verse. It says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Um, so I know it sounds simplistic and trite and expected. I get all of that, Um But the book of Revelation is about Jesus. Um, And in large part, see, he's being prophetic, he being John, right? He's drawing from like prophets like Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah. We've already talked about those. Um, And he's he's going to enamor us and mesmerize us uh, with Jesus. All of which is to say, our uh, friends who are going to Uh, interpret the book in a linear way, as you said um, a few moments ago, are going to say in large part the book's uh, going to be accessed uh, through uh, the 1948 state of modern Israel. Um, So the book really is about uh, God's dealing with uh, this political state called Israel. Um, So we would want to make sure that we get our bearings right. John tells us right there in chapter 19, verse 10b. uh, Huge verse, huge verse.
0: All right, Dr. Lessing, you've given us some fantastic introduction here. Lots to keep in mind as we spend eight weeks here in the book of Revelation. We get to take a look at the first three verses of the book today. So this is the text. Those are our three verses to look at this morning, Revelation 1, verses 1 to 3. So we get pretty well a title in that first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And there's a, there's a progression. God gave to him, so to Jesus, and Jesus makes it or gives it to the angel to send to John to preach. So take us through that, that progression that this revelation is given.
1: Yeah, as, as we were making earlier comments about the Johannine literature, you know, his Gospel and three epistles, uh, and I had mentioned uh, something along the lines that you know Jesus is the Word, the 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 way in which the Father reveals Himself, and that certainly is right here, right. Um, So the God here in Revelation 1.1, the word God is referring to God the Father, uh, and he is giving a revelation uh, to Jesus, and we would also say through Jesus, right? Uh, Because Jesus is the agent whereby the Father reveals himself. Um, And this whole wonderful Greek word, right, the first uh, word in John's original Greek apocalypsis, apocalypsis. Uh, so, calypsis means hidden, hidden, all right? Uh, Paul uses this word, for example, in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, that the gospel is hidden uh, from unbelievers, uh, but a revelation is an apocalypsis. Uh, it means uh, it's a unveiling Uh, It's taking the blinders off of us. So we can, we have more than just Fox News and CNN and Newsweek and New York Times telling us what's going on. And there's nothing wrong with that, but we need more. We need an apocalypsis. We need to to come out of the dark and see the light. Um, And so in large part, there's, I've already accented uh, several times. Uh, this first word in the book is really what God is trying to give us, right? Perspective. Perspective. Um, on what's really going on in human history and the church's history and my history. Hmm.
0: So with that that opening phrase the apocalypse the revelation of Jesus Christ it, it's plain as you've said that this is revelation that God gives through Jesus could we also take that as revelation that God gives about Jesus as well that he's also the content of this revelation
1: yeah and that to take us right back to chapter 19 verse 10 yeah Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so
0: that would be a, it would be a, a subjective genitive and an objective genitive <laughs> at, at the same time. That Jesus is the subject; he's he is revealing, but he's uh-huh. also the object. He is what is being revealed. So, for the sake of of his servants. Now, the the word that's translated servants, I believe, is is dulos or duloi, the the uh-huh. plural, which is maybe a bit a bit stronger than just when we hear servants. We're talking about about slaves. Mm-hmm. Talk about the the significance of. Of John being this sort of servant of us being this sort of servant toward God
1: right so the one of the main features of the book uh, as we've accented already a little bit but it really comes uh, uh, loud and clear um, when we see in verse 5 of chapter 1 that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And we have this great handles Messiah first, right, from chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdom of our Lord has become the kingdom of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So if Jesus is king, and king of kings, and lord of lords, right, we see that in uh, his um, coming in chapter 19, then of course we're the servants, right? Uh, so this is the, the major um, uh, category in which God uh, is uh, telling us uh, who we are and who he is. Uh, he's the king, we're the servants, we're the slaves. Um, and so that, that whole idea of servants— tois doulois, right, in John's Greek, is is a part and parcel of really the one of the major, major themes of the book, as, as we're accenting here.
0: I suppose in the context of, as you were saying at the, the outset, with Domitian and Christians refusing to say that Caesar is Lord, here to be that sort of servant to the true king, this is a, a comfort to those Christians. You, You... Don't say Caesar is Lord. Say Jesus is Lord. And that's that's the best thing of all, to be his servant.
1: Oh, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So the revelation of Jesus Christ God gave to him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Talk about the, the witness and the testimony that John is going to bear.
1: Right. Um... We we could go back to right uh, Acts one verse eight. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Um, so John is is a, a witness um, of the ministry of Jesus, of the death of Jesus. I mean, he was the only one standing there, right? John nineteen tells us that. Um, And he's certainly a witness to the the resurrection. He actually outran Peter to the tomb. So you can't think of really anyone uh, who is uh, in a better position to give a testimony or a witness to Jesus uh, than this disciple uh, whom Jesus loved. Um, And we could say that this witness is going to uh, come through Uh, signs, signs, um, which is going to be a a pretty major idea in the book, Um, and we've uh, already talked about that, the the signs, the Old Testament signs, the numerology, the colors, uh, the the vivid images. Uh, So if you think about um, a piece of art, that uh, you can interpret, or someone has interpreted for you, uh, then you're on the, the right track for interpreting the Book of Revelation. It's, it's, it's uh, this piece of art that uh, needs some interpretation because we, uh, why this color, right? Why this number? Um, so he's going to uh, make it known. Uh, this, uh, this Greek word here, uh in verse 1, uh, really means to use signs. Okay. Um, yeah.
0: All right. So he, he made it known he used signs. And again, Jesus sent his angel to John. John then bears witness, and who better than John to do so, not only in that he receives this vision, as we'll see later in this chapter, but as you pointed out, he is a witness to the Lord's entire ministry, including the crucifixion and resurrection. Mm -hmm. So who better than John to give this witness, this testimony, to the word of God, to Jesus Christ, all that John has seen. And then in verse 3, we get a beatitude Spoken, Mm -hmm. blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written. The Mm -hmm. time is near. Talk about that beatitude there in verse 3.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, As as you said, beatitude, makarios in the Greek, the same word Jesus uses uh, in the beatitudes, right, in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Um, so there's a a blessing right uh, to to the one so we might uh, read over this a little too quickly um, but blessed is the one who is reading aloud uh, and then the plural ones who are hearing the words of the prophecy and the plural ones who are keeping it. Um, and so I want to just go back to the singular who's the one reader see? Uh, well this would be the the pastors uh, of these seven churches uh, they are going to read this book right once they get it it's you know, a circular book to these seven churches um, and and the the reader of the book is going to be blessed and then the people who are hearing and we have like these plural uh in Greek uh, and keeping uh, the words of the prophecy Um uh, and and uh, the things that are written in it. Uh, so I, I want us to understand it uh, to be read and listened to and um, embraced in a congregational setting. Uh, and, and that would also include uh, a worship setting uh, in which, right, uh, people are singing. Uh, they are uh, certainly uh, taking the Eucharist. Uh, John is going to speak a lot about blood, the the blood of the Lamb. Uh, that's not only uh, Calvary blood; that would be Eucharistic blood. Uh, so this is a, a another major piece that John doesn't want us to miss.
0: Hmm. Well, and and I know you brought up earlier when we we're talking about John being the author. He is in the spirit on the Lord's day. So this is, this revelation is coming, even in the context when it sounds like he's in worship there on the Lord's day with the congregation gathered. He receives it. Then he now writes it so that it would be read and heard within the context of a worship service. So blessed, blessed are you congregations receiving this, you have God's blessing as you are hearing his word, reading it, hearing it together in that setting.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And it's so easy, right, to just feel like he wrote this and you're going to sit down in your study and read it, which we do, and that's good. (laughs) But the original intent is to be within worship and in a, a Eucharistic event, um, so no wonder he says, for example, in like chapter seven, right? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes white in the blood of the Lamb. So I invite our our listeners to have what what I, I often call sacramental sensitivity, um, that we we want to be aware of these subtle sacramental. Uh, ideas in the book, and certainly that includes holy baptism, uh, when we start talking about uh, having different marks on our foreheads, right? Um, Either the mark of the beast or the mark that we receive when we are baptized,
0: Yeah, what, what a fantastic thing. So we're going to keep that sacramental sensibility as we read the book of Revelation. And to know that this is this blessing is spoken to the church in worship, it really adds to, I think, the way that it would have been received by these churches and the way that we receive it. You, I think, referred to guerrilla worship or guerrilla liturgy, uh-huh. that, that we do these things you know, knowing that the enemy is still there, and yet we've won the victory. And so for a congregation gathered together in the midst of a, a hostile world, Yet we are blessed to hear these words, to read these words together, and to know that the victory is ours in Christ. What a what a marvelous thing that John gives us. Dr. Lessing, we're, we're just about out of time, but help us to wrap things up. Give us the, the comfort yet again that we're going to experience from this book.
1: Yeah, perhaps uh, the whole promise that John uh, gives to each of the seven churches, uh, as I said earlier, Uh, He loves this uh, word Nike, which we often think of as sports apparel, but uh, originally it was a, a Greek word meaning victory. Victory, and one way to maybe understand this victory that uh, John is talking about would be to go to Romans chapter eight thirty-seven, where Paul says, "In all these things, we're more than conquerors." It's heper nikaomen in Paul's Greek, Nike. There, it's not around. It's not over. It's not under. It's in all of this. It's through everything we call life. Uh, that we have victory. Uh, The book of Revelation isn't trying to help us uh, overcome victory by somehow sidestepping it. No, it's in all of this uh, that we are victorious uh, because we are in Christ Jesus.
0: Dr. Reed Lessing serves at Concordia University in St. Paul, Minnesota as professor of theology and ministry, director of the pre sem program, and director of the Center for Biblical Studies. He has been helping us today to study Revelation 1, verses 1 to 3. Dr. Lessing, thank you so much for being our guest. Thanks, Tim. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. It's going to be a wonderful series on the book of Revelation. Send your questions to kfuo at kfuo.org always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.